If you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 59 and verse 19. We'll continue on where we were last week, dealing with the adversary. It seems like to me anyway, when I'm inspired to study these things, I thought, well, we've already done that. And I keep coming back to this subject often because it seems, especially in the last year or so, that a lot of people are fighting a lot of warfare. If you go through this and then you get a little relief and then here's another one. I know personally myself, it's been a year of fighting. Been battles this year. I can say this, one thing so far in my life, I have never had a desire to turn and run. It's never been a, oh, this is too hard and too much. But I have learned that when I engage in warfare with the devil and make application of what I've been taught, God, who watches over his word to perform it, he does. And when he does, it's an encouragement to you to know that you're not alone in these battles, that somebody's helping you, that this will work. You just stay on track, that God will never let it get bigger than you, and so forth. We said that last week. I'll mention it again. I started last week by saying this. There are two unchanging facts in life for everybody. One of those facts is that there is a reason for difficulties and hardships in your life. There's a reason for it. It's either sin and rebellion or you're being tested. They both have their adversarial moments, and they both seem very much alike. But you're either a sinner and a rebel, and nothing can go right for you because you have no help. Or as a Christian, you find yourself being tested and being put in situations where you have to prove yourself, what you believe. And the other thing is that the devil absolutely in life will come against you. You may not know it's the devil. He may never be identified because he's a master at cloaking his maneuvers. But you will be attacked. You will come under the assault of Satan. Everybody does. Now, the good thing for us as Christians, if you look now in Isaiah 59 and verse 19, God said the second half of that verse, a very familiar verse. We've heard it a lot. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. Now, our enemy is the devil. You know that. And all of his cohorts, all of his agents of darkness. That's who we're fighting against. Not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, unseen forces. You can't see them. You have to believe. And a lot of people cannot believe. Therefore, they cannot fight the good fight of faith. But you have to know that what's against you out there is not what you can see. Now, he may operate, the devil may operate through people. But you're dealing with the devil when you're dealing with people. Bad things. Terrorism, for example, you're dealing with the devil. The devil who controls and manipulates people. He's done that in some families and situations for centuries. It's the devil that we're fighting. And the Bible said when the enemy comes in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Raise up a standard against him, and what will happen? Well, he'll flee. Do you believe if God is assisting you in dealing with the devil that you'll win? 
Well, this is what is implied here. That when the enemy comes in, he comes in like a flood. And what a flood does actually is ruin everything you have. We've seen, again, those heartbroken pictures in the news about the waters are gone, you come into your house, all your treasures are gone. They're not burnt up, but they're no good anymore. You can see them, but you can't see them. Everything you've worked so hard to get, you treasure, oh, this is so beautiful, it's just ruined. And a lot of people's lives are like that. I mean, the devil came in, and he does. Why wouldn't he? That's what he does. I mean, why wouldn't he come against you like that? That's what he does. That's who you're dealing with. He doesn't care about your sorrow and your pain. He's the author of that too. He comes in to ruin your life, to ruin your hopes and dreams, to make you mess up all the time, just to ruin this and ruin that, and nothing works right for me, and what difference does it make, and who cares, and then you just give up. And when you give up, you just let what happens, happens. And what happens then is that your life is on a spiral downward. But you're no different than millions of other people. Because if you don't know who you're dealing with, then you'll never deal with them. If you don't see what's behind the adversity in your life, whether it's being tested and tried or whether it's the devil taking advantage of ignorance, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The devil doesn't care. But God said he would raise up a standard. In other words, he would, in the midst of your difficulties, he would raise up something that will assist you in overcoming, of getting the victory or prevailing. God is concerned, as I said last week, God cares about your difficulties in life. One of our favorite Psalms, Psalms 91, says in the last verse of Psalm 91, he says, God said, I will be with him in trouble. Now, that's what he said. You may not know that. You may not know how to apply spiritual things in spiritual situations. But it's not God's fault that you failed. God has already supplied everything we need to win in this life. When Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared in the upper room with all of those fearful disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He also said, you go, you take what I give you, you do what I did. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As I won, you win. As I prevailed, you prevail. As I overcame, you overcame. And he said in John 16, verse 33, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That means you can too. Because the one who overcame is the one who takes residence in your life. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so we can win. We are designed to win. As Christians, we are destined to win. God wants you to know he's here to help that happen. To make sure that happens. So he raises up the standard to help you in your trouble. You're never by yourself. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? He's there. He's there. That phone call you had and the desperate whatever, he's still there. Now, God doesn't give up. Why should you? And I'll guarantee the devil doesn't give up either. 
He may relax his grip and know that he can't win what we're dealing with now, but he'll come at you another way. And he's never discouraged. He never hangs his head down and quit. He never quits. Because he knows if he can keep hammering on your mind, eventually you'll break down. He thinks that. But concerning your troubles and trials, God said, No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to face more than you can handle successfully. If you're not very strong in the faith, then your battle will not be stronger than you are. Those of us that have been in it longer, sometimes they seem to want to last longer and be more intense. You just have to fight back the same way. If you've grown and you're strong in the Lord more than you used to be, you fight like you're strong. You prevail like you're strong. You overcome like you're stronger. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. If God is on my side, who can be against me? We shall prevail. Or we think of another verse, you know, 2 Corinthians 2.14. He causes us to triumph daily. He causes us. So listen to me. If you think a little bit this morning you're depressed or God doesn't care about you, you're lonely, God has never forsaken you. Even though many times we forsake Him, He has not forsaken us. And His plan for you is to bring you to the place where He can say at the end, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you will triumph as you walk into the eternal kingdom. But while you're here... God wants you to know that he's on your side. Now, how does he do this? How does he help you? We said last week, number one, he raises up intercessors. The standard here doesn't say those who pray for you, but it certainly is implied, like in verse 16, that God wondered that there was no man, that nobody was praying when all this conflict was taking place in your life. Maybe you're just not in fellowship with the right people. If you're not fellowshipping with praying people and you're sort of avoiding these snooty Christians, then chances are when you go through some sort of a trial, people aren't praying for you because that's not what they do. Maybe you got the wrong kind of friends. Maybe your friends are kind of shallow, half-hearted Christians. They don't pray either. Truth be known, other than bowing their head at a meal, that's about the limit of their prayer. It's not a necessary, important part of your life. And when you go as their friend, you go through a trial, they don't pray for you. They don't even pray for themselves. They just succumb to the situation. Well, you know, that's just the way it is in life. But God has said here, He raises up intercessors. Turn to Second Chronicles. Everybody knows this verse. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Think of this one. It's what I just said about people that pray for you. I believe God, when you're in fellowship with the right people, I don't know how people that are not in a body of believers, I don't know how they function. When it comes to this, I don't know who stands with them, who really cares and is involved in their life. I know one of the reasons we fellowship a lot is so we can get to know each other. And we become aware either personally or what we hear about other people's needs, what people are going through, difficulty here. 
so-and-so is having this problem, so-and-so's not coming, and so-and-so is married, somebody's kid. And so it's a signal. It's a signal for us to pray for them. It's when we say, you know, Lord, that's not right. Whatever's going on here is of the devil. Somebody's being robbed, robbed of fellowship, robbed of the Word. They're being just robbed. I don't know if anybody else will, so you say, I'm going to pray. So you start praying. You don't know how to pray as you ought. I don't know what's going on. Aren't you glad you can pray in tongues? You know that word, tongues? Well, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit makes us intercession for us because it's the Spirit that raises up the standard. So we pray in tongues. We, by faith, believe that those funny-sounding words that come out of our mouth are the very inspired words that the Spirit of God urges us to say, and we believe that what we're saying is the language of the Spirit, because if speaking the tongue of men or angels that God hears what I'm saying. But I have to believe that. Because if I'm trying to say, well, what does kapotarita mean? Why do I say that? Well, I, don't I don't know what it means either. I don't think I've ever heard that word. But when I'm praying, I have to believe it, that it's one God gave me. Amen. I'm not like those in the old days. Y'all weren't here, all of you. In the old days when the Spirit of God was being poured out in the 60s and boy... Some of these anti-groups were recording the tongues message or the tongues, and they were trying to analyze that. They would go back, and they would come out with their report said, there is no language in the world with these syllables in them. And God must have been laughing. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh at our foolishness, as though something spiritual can be understood naturally. Whatever's coming out of your mouth, is just believing that's God. Well, it doesn't make sense. He did not tell me that he that speaketh in a tongue knoweth what he is saying. He says he speaketh unto God, not to men. That's his prayer language. I'm not talking about a message, a gift that works in the church. I'm talking about me and God and the language he's given me so that I can be an intercessor. There is absolutely nothing I cannot pray for right There is no subject in the world that I cannot pray for according to God's will if I can pray in tongues. But I have to believe that. That's how you build up yourself on your most holy faith. Jude 20 says, praying in the Holy Ghost. You've got to believe all of this. I can't prove anything. But praise God, the rest is that I don't have to try to prove it. I just do it. And my faith brings me into His rest. I praise the Lord. I'm praying according to His will. How do you know? Because He said, if I did, I would. Well, it doesn't sound like it. He didn't say you would think it sounds like it. All you're going to do is scoff at it to the world. Now you're hanging out where the tongue stalkers do. And you're friends with the tongue stalkers. Those who pray regularly that way, most charismatics don't. They just don't pray in tongues, ever. They did once, and they sort of quit. Life is so busy and so full of distractions, it just robs people of spiritual matters. But that's another message. So you hang around people who care about you, who know you're going through something. They don't know what to pray for in your life as they should, but they know the Spirit of God knows everything. 
So they begin, Father, I want to bring before you brother, sister, so-and-so. And then you start praying in the Spirit. And you just pray as long as you want to. Many times, many, many times when people call on the phone, after they hang up, I hold the phone, I pray in tongues. And it wasn't anything about a need of just how you do it, you know, but I pray anyway. How do you know what you're saying? I don't know what I'm saying. He that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. No wonder the devil hates it. What would he know about mysteries? Now that we know you should be in the tongues talking atmosphere... All prayer, even in English, with the understanding, all prayer is not useful. A lot of people pray as a matter of duty, and they pray and mouth a few words, the same general words. And it's not like it's inspired, and therefore it's not like the prayer is really useful or a working prayer. There is a prayer that availeth much. There is a prayer the Bible describes as one that gets results. That's in James chapter 5. But he says, if my people, that would be us. Wouldn't that be you? If my people who are called by my name, if they will do four things, I will do three things. Now, the three things that he said that he would do, he said that he would hear, he would forgive, and he would heal. The very thing you want begins with the very first thing, being heard. I don't know that everybody who gets down to pray, who's living a sort of moderate life, gets heard. The Bible said in John nine thirty one. now we know that God heareth not sinners. If there's sin in your life, it blocks your prayers. But he said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves. You're not humble while you're arguing. You're not humble while you're pouting. You're not humble while you're complaining. You're not humble while you're grumbling. You're not humble while you're just in a bad attitude about your wife or your children or your work or your husband. You don't have a humble mind when you're grumbling about this or that. When you're outspoken and intimidating and difficult, you're not humble. Jesus didn't go around making people feel scared of him. Humility. Humility is something today that does not fit in anything in society today except the tongue-talking church. Well, excuse me, in God's people and wherever they are. Humility. A lowering of yourself, a bowing of your head before whom you have come to recognize is supreme. One with whom there should be no conflicts. One who has obligated himself to watch over his word to perform it. You get away from the word, God who stays with the word has to go by it. And if you're out of the bounds of the word, then it doesn't matter what you pray. It doesn't matter. You read James chapter 1 about praying about faith, where it said, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from God. Well, the same is true with sin. 
If I regard sin in my heart, Isaiah 59 says, if I regard sin in my heart, I'm just not dealing with it. What does he say? The Lord will not hear me. So you humble yourself. And what's the next thing you do? You pray. You bow the head and you go before God. And you pray. You begin to intercede. You begin to petition. Make requests from God. Why? Because He is your source. He is the only one who can do anything you want done. Nobody else can. Nothing else can. Nothing. But His terms are pretty narrow. Would you agree with that? His conditions are pretty narrow to receive all of this power and abundance. There's a certain way you got to live, and He'll hold you to it. If you don't, it won't work. Well, why don't the gifts work? Why doesn't this work? Why don't we see this? Why, why indeed? How indeed can people, I'm not referring to you. I don't think I am. How indeed can people go to church their whole life, argue, fight, and fuss, seldom ever humble, the only prayer is that called prayer meeting where you bow your head and or repeat in unison, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so forth. Or Hail Mary, full of grace, as the Catholics do. That's the limit of prayer. It's meaningless words. They come from nowhere except rote or remembered words or memory. Prayer is nothing to these people. Nothing to a lot of Christians. We get by without it. We're existing without it. Pray. And what's the third thing he said that we do? God requires. He say seek. A seek only means attend church twice a week. That's all that means. You agree with that? Thank you. Seek is something that is individual. I don't know that. I would know how to explain how a whole church can seek the Lord. I can tell you how you should. You'll never seek God for anything until you have a need for God. If it's nothing more than a religious exercise as a unit, as a church, we're going to, then it's just, it's just that. While other people are praying, you're looking around. Your heart's not really in it. You're not seeking. Nothing's going to happen because you're not there in the sense that you're going to be useful in your prayer. What's the fourth thing? Turn. Turn away from the very thing that keeps it from working in the first place, which God leans on us about. Your life. The things you're not doing right. You've heard it, and you're ignoring it. And if you keep doing that, pray all you want to. It won't work. Sometimes I think people get just the walking dead. They've almost given up on any joy or the thrill of seeing something happen because nothing is happening in their life. It could happen. It should happen. It's been taught how to happen. It's just not happening. I mean, you've got to be willing. There's got to be an act of your will, which is what we call faith, to embrace God and say, I receive it, I will do it no matter what. That's what inspires all of these things.
But God says, if my people will do these four things, he said, the first thing that I will do is hear. I will listen to what you're saying. And as I hear, he said, as I hear, I will forgive. Oh, forgiveness. Forgiveness is almost entirely Christian. It's almost entirely Christian. The one thing that lacks in all these other religions in the world is forgiveness. They can't get away from their sins. It's just like the Muslims, the terrorists today. Their past is their present. They remember 2,000 years ago what happened to their people. They've never been taught to forget it and forgive. It's just vengeance, revenge, and get even. Forgiveness is such a marvelous thing because it's the very doorway to peace. And all these people that are in turmoil about killing people, destroying people, their life is full of hate and vengeance because they've never been taught and don't know how to forgive. And the same thing destroys people's lives when they get mad at people in Christianity, and they don't like them. Won't even sit on the same side of the church as they do. One church in this community I knew of, never was in it, but I knew of it years ago, was two men that were deacons. One of them didn't like the deal the other one gave him. They went to the same church and never spoke to each other. Now that is not Christianity. What good would it do for them to pray? I don't know if they ever changed. One of them died. The other one's still alive. You get so hard about what happened to you and to me and my pain and the pain of my parents and the pain of this. And I, I just, and that's what drives people to murder. That's what drives people to destroy and kill and have no sorrow and no, well, I know they have guilt because they can't get rid of that. It's what drives people to have this anguish. They cannot and they have never been forgiven. But God says, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal. Wouldn't it be nice to have spiritual healing as well as physical healing? To be at peace with God. To bring forth the very thing you're asking for. Well, this is what God does. When he raises up these standards, this is what he does. This is how he does it. He raises up people that will pray who know how to pray. Last week, if I can get to it. Secondly, the Spirit of God who raised up the standards. It's the Spirit of God who prompts your faith. Your faith. You don't have anything greater, mightier in this life to fight with. Then your faith. Somebody may say, well, i got the Word of God. The Word of God is just a word unless you know how to apply it. There's only one word in the Bible that is used as to how we apply the Word, and that's faith. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. Faith is the substance of things you expect to happen. It's the evidence of what you can't see. But it's something you have. It's something in your heart that is so big to God that when you release it, heaven works. Heaven responds. It's faith. 
The prayer of faith affects the sick. Not prayer. The whole church can come together and pray. That's not what heals the sick or fixes problems. It's the prayer specifically of faith. Paul in that church at one time, he said he beheld there a man who had faith to be healed. Remember that in Acts 14? A man had faith to be healed, and Paul said to the man, how did Paul know he had faith to be healed? I don't know. doesn't say. There must have been a lot of people there, but one of them had faith. One of them was so inspired by what he heard that he said, this is what God is saying to me. This morning, God is speaking to me. I believe for I got here, I believe for a keen witness to the Word, keen discernment, and I believe God is honoring that. And I believe what I'm hearing is what I'm supposed to hear. I believe this, and, and Paul deserved that. Faith. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you've got it. You can't just believe you have it if you can't see it. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We believe we have things we can't see. We believe we're going to places that have never been proven to be there in the first place. Our hope is built on nothing less than what our faith can make real to us. It's faith. Faith in God is being able to count on God to do what He said. Now, this is what God raises up in these moments. The standard. Let me show you how it works. And you already know. Jesus said, Simon, Simon. Behold. Now, the devil has desired you. The Greek text says the devil, by asking, has obtained you. What's he going to do? He's going to, like a puppy out in the yard playing with some old rag or cloth. You know how they shake them until they just shred them? He said the devil's going to sift you like wheat. You're going to be tossed up into the air like they sift and separate the wheat from the chef. And they're going to bang on that thing, on a bang on it again to break that out. Bang and throw it up and bang and you're going to go through this. But Lord, I love you. Lord, I go to church. Lord, I pray. Lord. Jesus said, well, uh, we'll see. He said, Peter, I have prayed for you. Oh, praise God. I prayed for you. Okay, so I don't have to go through this. No, 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 no. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail you not. And I am so sure that it won't, that when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. You mean the only thing I've got to fight the devil with is faith? That's enough. Don't say the only thing because your faith is what embraces anything and everything that God said. Your faith is able to activate the whole thing, whatever you believe. I mean, if God said it, you can believe it. That's what works. That's what God will do for you. That's the way he said it was going to work. Remember what he said in Acts chapter 3, At the gate called beautiful, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk and so forth. Well, they wanted to make gods out of these guys. And Paul said, listen, why do you look upon us as though because of apostolic power we did this? I think it's verse 16. He said, this man's, the man that got healed, this man's faith in Jesus is what's healed him. 
or in Jesus' name. This is what healed him. You mean the stories of Jesus and all of that in his heart is what he embraced? And when these guys spoke to him, it activated it? It did. And he believed it, and his body responded to it because that's the power of God, and he leaped, and he walked. He leaped and walked. That's what he did. His name through faith in his name has made this man strong. Same thing will happen today because it wasn't apostolic power that did it. It was faith in the name of Jesus that did it. And everybody in this room can have faith in the name of Jesus. Because a name implies everything that's behind the name. Power. In the name of Jesus. That's why we use it a lot. That's why every prayer is in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something about faith. When you release your faith, you're releasing to your circumstances and to your situation the Word of God. Physical things. This year there's been two or three interesting trials for me, testings. And I have learned that no matter how it doesn't look like it's working, it feels the same from one day to the next, and the labor is the same, and the whatever, the symptoms are the same. And after three or four days of releasing your faith, nothing looks better. I know it works. I know it works because it's the next day that when it all goes away. You have to use your faith. Faith is like this. Faith is based on uh, what? Faith comes... Um, yeah, thank you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Well, now, God watches over this Word to performance, so I find this Word that fits my situation. And the Spirit of God says to me, use it. Use it. Put it to work. Why you just hold it on here? Why would you treat the Word like it was just something you lay on your desk? Why don't you treat it like a stick of dynamite? Up here on this table is all in this physical junk. And take my faith. Now, the devil doesn't like this because he knows if this goes off, he's done. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from having faith, whether it gets you discouraged or give you something else to do. And look what I do for God and look how much I've been. And I don't have to have all that. Whatever he can to keep you from being faithful or having faith, he will do. But for some people, they take their faith and say, I receive this in Jesus' name. Y'all in here, you know what shh means? All right, hold on there. Boom! I've got the victory in the name of... Boy, we're going to have a praise. I'm going to praise. You've experienced something. Hey, it works. The word dunamis or dunamis, ever how you want to say it? Well, this is the power of God. It means, among other things, the ability to overcome resistance. Now, what's resisting you? What is resisting you out there today? What is it that's such an overwhelming thing? That kind of stuff. What is it? Let me offer you a solution. The Word of God. This is what God gave you. It's the only thing He gave you. The only thing He watches over to perform is His Word. It only works if you believe it. Peter, I pray that your faith 
You will remember what you've heard and not get caught up in your feelings and your circumstances. You remember what you've heard and you'll make application of it. I pray that you will, Peter. I pray that you will. Because your faith will honor God. Because it is the good pleasure of your Father to deliver you and cause the devil to be released from you or you be released from him and for him to flee. Because if you resist the devil, and how do you resist the devil? Peter said in our text, resist steadfast in the faith. I didn't even read the text this morning. But he resists steadfast in the faith. Your adversary goes about like a roaring lion whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's what you do. That's the way you do it. That's why the prayer of faith heals the sick, because the prayer of faith activates the Word. And the Word, it says, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. He sent His Word to heal them. He bore our diseases and carried our pains, and by His stripes we're healed. His Word is medicine to our flesh. He healeth all our diseases. How many more verses do we need? This is what our faith embraces. Lord, I believe this. That's why your confession is so important, because that's how we release that. You hide this Word in your heart out of the abundance of your heart. Your mouth speaks. And when what's in your heart and what comes out of your mouth confirms the Word of God, it's faith. It's faith. Because you're saying the same thing God says from your heart, which you believe. And even though you say it and it doesn't look like it's any better, you know in your heart, you know this will work. You know, I will be well. My body will recover. I will be healing. I will be healthy. My youth will be restored. I will, I will, I will. Because God said these are things I can expect to happen. This is my hope, expectation. Faith is a very reality of things you expect to happen. My only basis for expecting anything to happen is because God gave it to me to rely on Him for it. It works. And yet we let that slip. Every day it slips in somebody's life. All these problems, and it's so easy to get on the phone and cry. It's so easy to get in a corner and just say, I just don't know why. Or you can keep your faith where you started it. I don't know how long the enemy comes in like a flood. I know it rains and then the water builds up. But God did not say when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will prevent a flood. It's going to rain. It just means that you will not be ruined by it. You're going to stand your ground. You're going to resist him steadfast in the faith. It's what faith does. Hebrews 4. And verse 2, look at that. You've got to look at that. Unto us in Shelbyville Christian Assembly has the good news been preached as well as unto them. Now, good news, let me start over and say this. Good news is the gospel. Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. Are you with me? The gospel, the good news, is the power of God because what it says, God does. Nothing can keep that from happening. 
All right. Now, taking that, he said, for the word of God that was preached to us, for the gospel they heard, did not profit them. It's not working. I go to that church. I heard that stuff. I tried it. It doesn't work. Here's why. Here's exactly why. For the word they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith by them that heard it. It doesn't say you haven't heard it. It means you did hear it. You did hear it. You listened to it. You heard it. But it never occurred to you that that will be activated as a reality in your life if you'll believe it. I'm not going to keep talking about my own life, all these meetings, but I can go back. I remember many years ago, somewhat of a struggle in the beginning because this was new. There was nobody I could look at. I knew nobody that I could look at to verify that this will work because every religious person I knew was as far backwards as I was. They had no living hope of getting victories. They hoped they would. I hope it works. I don't know. And yet this word came to my heart of all things through a tape. Now we're getting to the time of some of you growing up and don't know what a tape is. You're thinking of something you put on an envelope or something. Cassette tapes. And it was so encouraging, it didn't let up. It didn't make it easy. It was just encouraging. Because they said, this is what you can depend on God to do if you're willing to depend. Count on. That's what faith is. We took a little step, got a big answer. Another little step, another big answer. A little bigger step, a nice big answer. And then people around the church begin to say, how'd you do that? And so I begin to say, well, you see, you got to get in a good place. You got to get your face fixed. You got to squint your face. No, if you're humble, you realize this, I did nothing but what I was privileged to do, and that was respond to God. How easy is that? Just yield. Just yield. The yielded life. Just yield to God. Expect an answer. I think I said it last week. I think I've said the last couple of meetings. We don't expect things to happen. We doesn't mean everybody. Not we editorially, but we on occasion, really don't expect something to happen. We've gone so long without anything happening, we really don't expect anything to happen. Our goals are lowered for our lives. Our work ethics, well, they could stand some improvement. Our functioning through life, we just don't put much, you know, just, what God raises up, we just kind of make mediocre. People are satisfied with mediocre living today. Yeah, yeah, you know, Make $34 a week, I'll be all right. And when you could make more because God gave you better talent. But we're so mediocre, little effort, just, you know, eh, whatever. And your Christian life becomes like that. You start living before God like that spiritually. You don't pray before you get here. You don't think it'll work. Therefore, you don't pray. You don't expect much to happen. Uh, 
Sometimes our song service doesn't start till 10 minutes after church time. Uh-oh, now i got that to deal with. Well, deal with it. It's just like when it's not a big deal. Maybe just get used to living like the church you came out of. You thought you came here to escape all that stuff, and you found out that people were just, duh. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the ones where we used to be. Actually, I'm talking about the way people decline spiritually because the adversary is good. The devil is good at bringing us back to where we were. And the only difference from going back and going forward is faith. Trust me, is faith. He said the word they heard did not profit them. Let me tell you something. The word of God is supposed to profit you. But it only profits if you mix faith with it. Go to James 2. And then we'll finally finish. We'll go to our third point. Look at verse 14. I'm going to ask you a question before we read these verses. All of you that have heard about faith and application of it for how many years? What action are you taking today in your life to manifest what you believe? If you don't believe God will do what he said, the action you're taking is to draw back and not even try to do anything about it. Because that's what you believe. That's where your faith is. But if you're going to be a faithful Christian, walk by faith. What action are you taking today to manifest your faith? Here's what James says, and this is how he deals with that subject to the people he was talking to. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and he has not works? There's nothing to verify your faith. Nothing in what you're doing is showing that you're believing. You can't be saved like that. Verse 17. Even so, faith, this is what he says now, faith, if it hath not works, is dead because it has nothing to go with it. And verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say, You have faith. Well, look at what I'm doing. I have works. He said, Show me your faith without your works. What is that? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Not as a boast, but just as an illustration. But the question is, to Shelbyville Christian Assembly and to whoever's listening, what good is it for us to say we have faith, that we're believing God or trusting God, if there's nothing to show it? For example, what about your confession of faith? Is there such a thing as a confession of faith? Is it not your mouth releasing what you believe? Well, I can hear what you say. Many times in my life, I've gotten out of bed when I didn't want to because I would tell myself, well, now, if you were healed, you wouldn't lay in that bed, would you? Uh-uh. Or I'm married to somebody that made sure that I wasn't comfortable. <laughs> you can fight better on your feet. You'd get out of that bed or something like that. But see, I'm laying there thinking, you're right, woman, but leave me alone. 
Got out of bed, felt horrible. And try to function. You ever try to function when you feel bad? If you're a mother, you know what I'm talking about. Because mothers don't have breaks. You know how I feel? But you do it, don't you? Next thing you know, God honors it because you're doing something to manifest your faith. You're doing something. God knows your heart, but you're doing something that is not easy to do because it's not supposed to be easy. You're doing something to show that you have faith. Look at verse 20. But will you know, O vain man? <laughs> Whoo, vain man. That word means useless. Will you know, O vain man, that faith without works or actions, corresponding actions, is dead? You're a good religious person. You're a marvelous personality. Wonderful person to be around, nice smile, gentle, kind, and all of that. And I'm sure when people stand before your casket in whatever place they have your last words, they'll remember how kind and good and gentle and peaceful a person, nice and all that, that you were. But they'll never say anything better than you than the fact that you trusted God with all your heart. Because faith without works is dead. And if it's dead, it's dead. It didn't say you were a bad person. Nice people don't have faith. Bad people don't have faith. Bad people undergoing transition might have faith. But there's nothing more valuable to you than your faith. Why couldn't we cast this demon out, Jesus? Because of your faith. Why did Peter sink? Oh, thou of little what? Arguing about bread. We don't have any bread. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Over little things, Jesus didn't leave them alone. Lord, the fig tree you curse has died. Jesus turned and said, Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. That's the first thing he said, have faith in God. They tore the roof off, lowered that man down, and the first thing Jesus said was, be of good cheer. Good cheer? Yeah, your sins are forgiven. Then he said to the others, who I don't know about that, they said, well, okay, we'll know about this. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And he walked. And he took up his bed. All because of faith. Faith. The one word that keeps popping up over and over in the Bible, which is seldom ever mentioned in the church by Christians, unless it refers to their brand of Christianity. Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopalian faith. Nobody knows much about it. Who knows what the trial of faith means? When your faith is tested, who knows what it means? You see, the devil knows that the secret probably to having victory over Christian people is to keep them ignorant or keep them distracted. Get their minds off the Word and get their minds onto other things like works and good deeds. Because the devil knows how narrow God is. Then the Bible say the devil believes and trembles? So it's your faith that the Spirit of God activates. And now for this week, I love reviews because, you know, we never get past our need to be reinformed because not everybody is listening like they should. 
And I love to hammer it home if I can. Thirdly, that wonderful standard that God raises up is praise. I do believe the devil hates praise. I do believe the devil cannot stand inspired worship. Him singing, now he doesn't mind that. People getting together and, and mouthing a few little praise choruses, that doesn't bother him. This joy is joy overflow. I don't think it bothers him. It's inspired praise that God raises up. John 4, if you will, as we begin to close. John chapter 4 and verse 23. I looked up the word inspired and it means to influence, to move or guide by divine or supernatural inspiration. Inspired praise would mean that we as a congregation of people are inspired by God to worship or praise, all of us. Nobody's looking around to see why he or she is singing so loud. Or why is that one dancing like that? Or why is that one wanting to run around the building? It's like this, I am before God alone. I'm with you. But because it's personal, it's between me and God. I'm not going to sing because you do or they do or she does. My heart is overflowing. Sing them over again to me. That old vacation Bible school song, Wonderful Words of Life. They must have meant something to whoever wrote that song. I think the devil hates that. That's the one thing that he cannot overcome is a man who is able to release the Word of God by faith. And when he does, it will be accompanied by worship. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Let me ask you a question. One verse of Scripture, one test, one question. Whom this morning is God seeking to worship Him? From whom does God want worship? Well, let me read it again. This must have been a hard question. The hour cometh when true... Worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit. That's what the Spirit of God does, isn't it? Raise up a standard. They'll worship Him in spirit and in truth. These are the ones that God seeks to praise and to worship Him. Let God arise, let His enemies be scattered. Psalm 68, 1, is that right? Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. comes from Numbers 35. He said, let his enemies melt before him. Well, in the spiritual sense, when we begin to worship and praise, devil has to go eventually. Remember Acts chapter 16 in a jail cell, a man named Paul and Silas? 
Paul had been useful to God. He had a vision. Come over here to Macedonia. He said, I had a vision. A Macedonian is calling me. It must be a chance to preach. So he and Silas went over there. On the way, they cast out a demon. And for casting out a demon, they got thrown in jail. And it was nasty. Now, we've never been in a jail like that. It wasn't three hots and a cot. Okay, three hot meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and a place to sleep, okay? They didn't get that. This was a dank, nasty, urine-infested, and who knows what else, rat-infested, stinking place. That they, I don't care what you're going through in there. And they're chained to the walls. You know the story well. And Silas is grumbling because Paul had to cast out demons. Why can't we just go somewhere without you having to do something? And at the midnight hour, it says they begin to sing. They had a song. What's better to do in, in dark time than just to sing a song? Or to dance around a house with a child with a convulsing fever? Dancing, singing, this joy, his joy, over. And your heart is thinking, oh, God. And there's a war between what you're thinking and what's in your heart. It's a real battle before your will. And you keep dancing, and pretty soon they go to sleep, and then they get up, and they're well. They begin to sing hymns in Acts 16, and the Bible says, and the chains fell off. The jailer rushed in, and he was the one they saw in the vision. That night, he and his whole house got saved. They had to go to jail to get there, but that's part of ministry. You don't want to be a minister, all right. That's what they did. Let me go back to this song as we come to a halt. You need to turn back in the book of Psalms to Psalms chapter 42 and verse 8. Song. Everybody needs a song. His name is as ointment poured forth. Jesus, Jesus. I like to sing before my church that I pastor, and they like to hear me sing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, we haven't ruined the morning yet, have we? Okay, verse 8. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song will be with me. Now, here we go. The Spirit of the God will raise up a standard against Him, God Himself will give you a song. Songs are everywhere in the Bible. And they sing the song of Moses. Miriam, get your timbrel out and sing and dance and shout about the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Bada boom, bada boom, bada boom. Songs. Songs of victory and songs of praise. They're all over the Bible. People had a song. At Solomon's temple, they sang so loud, the noise was like a one single sound. And the glory of God came down in the midst of all that in the temple, and the priests had to get out of there. They couldn't stay in there. God inhabits praise. No wonder the devil hates for us to praise God and doesn't mind us mouthing a few little choruses. I don't say that's what we always do. I'm just saying it's possible for that to happen. You're welcome. All right. 
But he goes on to say in the ninth verse, he said, His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forsaken me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where's your God? That's like the third day of your trial. You tend to want to think that. Why isn't this working? Well, verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? This is the war within. Your soul, your mind, and the things you think is versus what's in your heart. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Get yourself up. Put that number verse 8 song in your mouth and go. Praise God. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Do you have a song this morning? I've been in more than one deliverance session in my life in which having done what we did and not seeing enough results yet, you start praising God. And sometimes the person you're praying over, it's like torment because the demon inside of a person hates it. You start singing about Jesus or singing in the spirits worse because that's activated. That's God-present praise. Oh, and the, sometimes people go to screaming. Well, what would he do if he was in your house or try to get in your house and you'd be able to walk through your house and sing and say, well, I don't sing good. You don't have to sing good. I mean, everybody can't sing like Bonnie over there. I mean, <laughs> but you just sing. What are you saying? You can sing making melody in your heart. How's that? Singing unto the Lord, a, a new song. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You can make them up. I do all the time. A while ago, I make them up all the time. Let me tell you a really wonderful song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Word of God tells me so. Little ones and big ones, too, belong to Him. And we are at peace because the Bible says so. You can sing whatever you want to as long as it's inspired. You're seeking God and you listen to and you begin to praise. While the pain is in your body. While the swelling is there, while the brain is saying, you're completely nuts. And you start singing, his name is wonderful. It's a concerted effort. I mean, this is warfare. Your praise becomes a weapon. His name is wonderful. Or the child you have that's, oh, you're having trouble. You lay your hands on their little pillow and say, you know what, Lord? You gave me this child. And I thank you for it. I'm believing the very best for this child. And I ask you now to cause whatever the problem. I ask you to do cause, whether they're young or teenagers. You see, and I release my faith for that in Jesus' name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus is the name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Never have I heard a name that thrills my soul like thine. We don't even sing that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, what wondrous grace that links that lovely name with mine. It's a good song. Well, you're welcome. 
Now, win your battle this week. Win it today. I want you to say this. I will win by the grace of God. All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, may the words of their mouth, may the words of their mouth become the reality in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.